Father, you are in heaven. And your name is holy. And we praise you. We acknowledge your greatness and your uniqueness and your awesomeness and your power. We pray, Lord, that your kingdom would come and your will would be done here, even as it is in heaven. That means we surrender to your control and your governance. Your kingdom is your rulership. And we acknowledge that this morning over our lives and over our decisions. All that we do as a church and all that we do as families and all that we do as individuals. Father, we do pray that you'll give us today what we need for today. We don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow has enough worries of its own. But today, Lord, we pray for those who are sick. We pray for those who are in financial difficulty. We pray especially for those whose relationships are strained. That you would give us today grace and strength. Father, we pray that you would forgive us as we forgive those around us as we release burdens of anger and stuff we're holding on to, the little incidences and memories we have with one another that we pile away in the freezer and we bring them out as snowballs when the time is right. God, we release those. But we pray that you would lead us not into a temptation that we can't resist. Deliver us from the evil one. We acknowledge this morning that we have an enemy. He means us harm. Today we pray for protection. Our Lord, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. We're stunned and amazed that you've shared it with us. And we bless you this morning as one people with one voice and one heart. In the strong name of Christ our Lord, we pray. And all God's people said, Last week, I said I want to be healthier at the end of 2016 than I was at the end of 2015. Now, there are a lot of things that need to happen if I'm going to meet that goal, but one of the most important things is for me to be rightly and healthily connected to key relationships. Let me prove that to you. Think for a minute of your closest relationship. If you're married, it's probably your spouse. Now think of a time when you had ongoing and intense difficulty in that relationship. That difficulty affected everything. If you and I have any intention toward having a great year, we're going to have to be rightly and healthily connected to key relationships. Today I want to talk about one of those key relationships. We're going to be looking at a lot of different passages of Scripture this morning, but we're going to begin with Matthew 22. 34 through 40, and this is a passage that will be familiar to almost all of you. If you've been around church, this will be familiar to you. Sorry for the spiritual aerobics, but let's go old school and stand out of reverence for God's Word. Matthew 22, verses 34 through 40, and it will be on the screen for you. I'd love for you to look in your Bible if you have one on your phone, or uh, those of you who still use paper, who were born in the 1800s, then join me. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together, different really religious and political parties. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. And the Pharisees were often experts in the law, 
and they spent their time, and, and I mean this some, and sometimes in a good way, they spent their time arguing over the minutiae of the law, what it meant, how to apply it. This was a fairly typical question in Jesus' day. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus gave an answer. He replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. He's quoting Deuteronomy. This is the first and greatest commandment. And then he quotes Leviticus. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. You may be seated. Now, when Jesus says loving God and loving your neighbor are the greatest commandments, listen, he's not being inventive. Actually, he's showing considerable sophistication in relation to the theological arguments of his day. This was the kind of statement that confounded his critics, honestly. How did this unschooled Galilean ruffian gather this level of legal sophistication? And that's what he's demonstrating here, because... This was a typical question and a typical response to this question, well known in Jesus' day. An example of this argument is given for us in the New Testament. In Romans chapter 13, verse 9, the Apostle Paul says this, The commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and whatever other commandments there are, they may be summed up in this one rule, love your neighbor as yourself. This was a common understanding. That's not unique. The unique thing about this teaching is not his recognition that all the law and the prophets hang on these dictates. The unique thing is how Jesus defined love. In John 15, 12 and 13, Jesus says this remarkable thing. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that he lays down his life for his friends. You see, Jesus completely changed the equation. For the Old Testament saints, love equaled duty. Love equaled fear slash awe. I don't have time to demonstrate that for you today, but you'll get the picture clearly if you read the book of Deuteronomy. For Jesus, love included those things, certainly. But more importantly, love equaled commitment. Love equaled service. Love equaled togetherness. Love equaled fellowship. Love equaled laying down my life for someone, putting their needs above mine. Plus, there was an engagement of our emotions and our passions in Jesus' definition of love and in the way he lived it out that was certainly missing in the Pharisees' understanding. And this concept of loving one another, investing in one another, laying down our lives for one another was so critically important to Jesus' ministry, that another point, he told his students that this would be the distinguishing mark of those who followed him. Look at this from John 13, recorded for us in John 13. By this, by your love for one another, not by your knowledge of the scriptures, not by your observance of the law, not by your tithing from every piece of basil that you raise, but by your love for one another, people will know that you're my disciples. This is why Jesus spent the most important part of his ministry devoted to the building of a small group of friends into which he could pour his love and before whom he could demonstrate what right connectedness looked like. That's right. The Savior of the world devoted himself principally to the development of a small circle of friends, a small group whom he could love and disciple. 
So, like Jesus, we have to make connecting to others who are connected to God a principal part of our lives. We have to make connecting to others who are connected to God a principal part of our lives. We have to immerse ourselves in Christian community. This is one of our key relationships. Remember last week, if you were here, I talked about Coach Dabo Sweeney of Clemson University who's playing tomorrow night in the college national championship. Coach Sweeney said that their wins in November and December had everything to do with their preparation in August. Well, the same is true for us. What we look like and feel like at the end of this year, our emotional and spiritual health, perhaps even our physical health, depends on us doing the work of connecting this winter. And one of the key connections for us will be connecting to Christian community. That's one of our key relationships. That's why we emphasize small groups here at Gateway. Group commitment is a discipline that allows us to keep this value in front of us. Is it easy? Well, of course not. I certainly don't always want to go out on a cold February night. Yay, it's freezing and I'm exhausted. I can't wait to get together with a group of people and talk. It's not easy, but it's critical. This is one of our key relationships. Now, you may need motivation. I know at least I do. So in case Jesus' command and his model aren't good enough, let me give you three reasons to continue to make the choice to pursue this key relationship. Reason number one, our connection to other Christ followers is key because it's the key to our spiritual growth. It's the key to our spiritual growth. We will remain stunted spiritually if we do not immerse ourselves in Christian community. And you'll wake up three years from now going to visit someone like me and saying to them, oh, I feel so disconnected from God and from myself if you don't make this key relationship a priority. I'm going to read a lengthy passage from Ephesians Four, if you'll stay with me, and this is just an awesome, epic passage where the Apostle Paul talks about this connection. Ephesians 4, and I'm going to begin in verse 11. He's writing to a young group of Christians at a church he started, and he says this to them, beginning in verse 11. Look, it was God who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors, some to be teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now I want you to notice how Paul talks about these leadership skills. He says, first of all, they're given by God. And secondly, he says, they're given so that God's people might grow up together. Let me continue. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by waves and emotional waves and circumstantial waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and crazy ideas, cunning and craftiness of men, their deceitful scheme. Instead, we together, we're going to speak the truth in love. We will in all things grow up into him who's the head, that's Christ. From him, look, the whole body joined, held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Here, as in most places, don't miss this. Paul doesn't argue for you and I to be invested in community with other Christ followers. 
He assumes it. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. He assumes this key relationship in my life and yours. So can you be a Christian without connecting to Christian community? Can you be a Christian without being involved in a church? Well, of course you can. But you need to know that the Bible always assumes that you'll be invested in this key relationship because these saints understand that you cannot grow into what God designed you to be without this investment. You know, let me give you another illustration of that. The phrase one another is used over 30 times, and I'm being extremely conservative. It's used over 30 times in the New Testament with direct reference to this key relationship, talking about investing in this key relationship. And I'm not counting any of the casual references that might fit this category or any of the quite a few references to greeting one another with a holy kiss or greeting one another with a whatever. Don't judge one another. Don't slander one another. Bear with one another. Be patient with one another. Forgive one another. Spur one another. Submit to one another. Be devoted to one another. Honor one another. Admonish one another. Accept one another. Encourage one another. Instruct one another. Love 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 one another. Over and over again. And you can't do any of that without an another. The good news is, that you don't have to bear with one another if there's not an another. And you don't have to be patient with one another if there's not an another. And you don't have to forgive one another if there's not an another. But the bad news is that you can't be loved or love one another if there's not an another. And you can't encourage and be encouraged and you can't exhort and be exhorted and you can't instruct and be instructed if there's not an another. The Bible assumes this key relationship, because it knows it's critical to your growth. Is it easy? Well, of course not. It's extremely difficult. Some of you have heard me say before, I've heard Christian community defined as a group of porcupines huddling together on a cold night. And as soon as a noise is heard outside the camp, the quills go up and we stick one another. It's not easy but it's critical. Our connection to Christ is key because it's the key to our spiritual growth. Secondly, there's power in Christian community. What I'm trying to do now is give you motivation. Logistically, this is true. This is obviously true. There's a verse in Ecclesiastes that says, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. And a cord of three strands is not easily broken. In other words, there's strength in numbers, and we all know that. You know, it's math. If I'm hanging out with myself, loving myself, I've got one person loving me. If I'm hanging out with ten people, and we're loving one another, then i got nine people loving me. The math is greater. There's strength in numbers. But this is also true in a mysterious, profound way. Spiritually, there's power in Christian community. Okay, look, pause for a second. The real power in our lives is the indwelling Holy Spirit. God's power is actually at work living in us, flowing through us and out of us. That power, that spirit is released in us through our belief in the gospel. That's why the Apostle Paul makes a big deal to his early students saying, hey, look, 
gospel is the power of God. There's something extraordinary that happens when you believe the gospel. But there is an accompanying power that we tap into when we tap into Christian community. I want you to listen to a prayer that Paul offers up for this same group of Christians, this group of Ephesians. He's writing them a letter and spontaneously he bursts into prayer. And the ideas, the doctrine, the theology of this prayer are fantastic. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 16 through 21, say this. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit and your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, I don't want to make too big a deal out of this, but I want you to notice that all of that language is plural. We tend to think of ourselves as these little individual dots radiating around Jesus, even those of us who have a connection with him. It's me and my connection with God. The Bible is not written that way. But he goes on. With power through his spirit and your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And we get the overwhelming impression, and it has been my experience, that when we tap into God's love, and I mean really, Really, when we really experience His love, all of our problems recede. Nothing matters but that. That's the power of this. And you get in this prayer the sense that we can't get that by ourselves. That the love of God is so big and so expansive, we need one another to grasp its depth and height and width and breadth. And then He bursts into this benediction. Now to Him who's able to do immeasurably more than we can even ask or imagine according to His power that is at work within us. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I'm reading this fascinating book by a church historian named Rodney Stark. It's called The Triumph of Christianity. And he's trying to answer the question how the church grew from this group of people that was roughly two or 3,000 people on the day of Pentecost to multiple hundreds of millions today. How did that happen? Well, he's talking about the early movement of the church. Now, the great mystery is the singular world power, the lone standing world power in the world for several hundred years, set its sights for almost 150 years on destroying the church. So this fledgling little movement was within the sight line of the Roman Empire that set its sights on this measly group of people who simply said they believe in this weird thing that happened in Palestine and they think it has some connection to their lives and, by the way, to yours. And so off and on, the Roman Empire would persecute these Christians. And Rodney Stark asked the question, how is it that the smaller army without the swords won the war? And one of the key things that he says is, he says, contrary to what most people think, one of the reasons, one of the primary reasons that the Romans persecuted the Christians was because they gathered. They knew there was power 
in gathering, and then there was power in community. And you see, the ancient world, their religions, they didn't gather. They would go to temple and enjoy themselves perhaps with the service of a prostitute, or they would make sacrifice, or they would have temples set up in their own homes. But they didn't gather. They didn't have meetings. They didn't have worship services. And Rome was always suspicious of these gatherings, so it tried to crush the Christian movement because of its gatherings. But primarily because of its gatherings, the Christian movement exploded. There's power in Christian community. Tap into that power. Let me give you a third and final reason, a motivation for you and I tapping into Christian community, immersing ourselves in it. Third, we were designed for healthy connections with other Christ followers. We can't live healthfully without it. We were designed for it. We can't live healthfully without it. This is a key relationship for you and I, that if we're going to be healthier at the end of 2016 than we were at the end of 2015, we've got to tap in to connections to other people who are trying the same trek. In 2012, Elaine de Baton, I think that's how you pronounce his name, I don't know exactly, B-O-T-T-O-N, he delivered a TED Talk in Edinburgh called Atheism 2.0. Some of you have heard this guy or, or heard things about him. He starts this talk by acknowledging that atheists have become quite well known for criticizing religion, not just because it's wrong, but because it's ridiculous. Atheists, he says, and I'm quoting him here, have argued that believing in God is akin to believing in fairies. But he adds this, I think this is too easy, end quote. Baton presents an argument for a new way of being an atheist. And that's what this whole talk is about. He's trying to create a movement. This new way of being an atheist, Baton says, the atheist says, quote, of course there's no God. I don't believe in any of these gods. I don't believe in any of these doctrines. But I really like Christmas carols. And then he goes on to talk about other things that we kind of emotionally connect to. He goes on to appeal to those people who like, listen to this, the ritualistic, moralistic, and communal side of religion. There's power in it, Bataan recognizes. And he argues that he believes this is true for most people. Of course it is. It's who we are by design. He argues that there's something profoundly comfortable and profoundly, quote, human about the feelings of transcendence and the feelings of connections with others. And there is. Even the, the atheists acknowledge it. We were created by design to have connection with other people who are connecting with God. Genesis 1. I, I suspect all of you at least know the general arc of Genesis 1. God creates on day one, light and dark. He looks at it and he says, awesome. Day two, he creates the expanse, the atmosphere. Looks at it and he says, I did a really good job. Day three, day four, day five, creates fishes and birds and animals. Looks at it all, it's very good. And then he creates man, the crowning achievement. Wow, really good. And an entire universe. God surveys everything. Vast galaxies, all that he's created. And there's one thing that's not good. Man's aloneness. We were created by design to connect to Christian community. And of course that's the case. We worship a communal God. 
We worship a God who's three in one. Go back to Matthew 22 for a moment where we started. Now look, obviously, when Jesus said, love your neighbor, he doesn't mean just other Christ followers. This means all people who are near to you. And clearly, that's Jesus' intention here. We'll talk more about that in a couple of weeks. But hear this. On that list of those neighbors whom we should love, other Christ followers are at the top of the list. I'm going to say it again. On the list of all the neighbors that we should love, other Christ followers are on the top of that list. Galatians 6.10. I want you to see this. You can find this throughout the New Testament. And as I said, often it's assumed. Therefore, Paul ends this passage. As we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the household of faith. Now, I know there's someone out there thinking, I know, if I gave you time, several of you would be thinking, wait, key relationships, what about my family? This is the key relationship in my mind. I mean, if you have kids, my kids are at the top of my list, and surely God thinks so as well against that. I'm going to go so far as to say that if we keep the principle of loving our Christ-following neighbor in the forefront of our thinking, this will help our parenting. Stay with me. Here's why. I think we, you and I, are in danger of making idols out of our children. Perhaps because we live through them vicariously. Perhaps because we mistakenly tend to think of them as ours. Ours to protect. Ours to love ours to promote, we would do well to remember that the most important aspect of our relationship with our children is that of discipler and not that of promoter, protector, and provider. Parents, uh, some of you are doing important Christian community building work at home. You just need to remember that that's what you're doing. You're not trying to raise future CEOs or future NFLers or future presidents. You're raising future Christ followers, and the rest will come as he sees fit. And what I've just said about parenting, well, the same principle applies to wifing and husbanding as well. This is a key relationship for you and I, and we can't be healthy at the end of 2016 if we don't immerse ourselves in this key relationship and make it a principle, make it a priority for ourselves. Okay. We were designed for healthy connection with other Christ followers, and we will not be all that God designed us to be until we find that connection. We will also not grow the way God intends for us to grow, and we will not experience His power in our lives the way He intends for us to experience it. I'm going to wrap up. I don't have time to do this fully, but we have written a, a covenant with one another here at Gateway. And in that covenant, we have identified seven, let's call them life habits, that will help you and I invest in the right relationships in the right way. Two of those life habits relate to this business of extending ourselves and immersing ourselves in Christian community. And one of those life habits is invest in Christian community. So I encourage you, if you're here today, and if you can hear my voice, if you're still awake, sign up for a small group. Or find a way to invest in this kind of relationship. 
I don't like that small group thing. Okay, find a group of two or three other women or two or three other men who will meet you early one morning. You know, men meet one another for breakfast and punch one another in the face. How are you doing with your wife? Oh, she's ridiculous. Well, it's because you are. Punch them in the face. And guess what you've got? You've got a small group, but we won't call it that. Find it. Invest in it. Invest in community. It's a choice. You have to choose it. It won't just happen. Four fantastically great people whom you just totally connect to are not going to come up and knock on your door. Let's hang out for a while. Okay. Awesome. Wasn't that fun? Let's do it again next week. It's not going to happen. You're going to have to find it. And that's difficult for all of us. Listen, there are those of us like me who like to do all the talking. We have difficulty with Christian community because everybody else leaves the meeting and going, goes, does he ever shut up? And then there are those of you who won't say a word. And you come here on Sunday morning and I stand up and say this awkward thing, pass Christ's peace to one another. And this is the time for you to say, oh no, nobody's going to speak to me. Well, get up and speak to them. Invest in Christian community. Secondly, Nourish others out of personal wholeness. So this year, let's get healthy. Let's admit we're all wacky. Don't get upset when life presents you with an opportunity to recognize how wacky you are. If I'm the first to tell you, let me tell you, you're wacky. You've got serious problems in the way you relate to us. All of us know it. The only one who doesn't know it is you. And as we rub against one another, we begin to recognize that about one another. So get healthier so that you can invest in others so that you can nourish others. We actually have people here at Gateway who have invested in learning how to talk to and hear from and counsel others. If you'd like to talk to one of those folks, let me know to help you work through some of your vast problems because, again, trust me, you have them. And let's make this a year where we will get healthier so we can nourish others out of our personal wholeness. Okay, let's quit. When the first Apple store opened in 2001, there was no iPod or iPhone. hadn't been invented yet. And 97% of the people in the United States were on dial-up Internet. You remember those days? This is 2001. I couldn't believe that. For every 100 people who visited the Apple store in those days, one person actually bought something. Most people who walked through the glass doors in 2001 didn't own a single Apple product. And the Apple team was totally comfortable with that because they knew that if they got it right, success would come off of the back of becoming meaningful to people. Say with me. That success took a few years to arrive because people didn't understand the stores or the genius bar at first, but the, the Apple store eventually became, quote, according to Fast Company magazine, the most successful retail concept of all time, end quote. As Ron Johnson, who was the former VP of retail at Apple, the guy who came up with the Apple Store concept, said, quote, people really love our stores because we are more than a store. We are a place to belong. <laughs> if Apple gets it, the Church of Jesus Christ, who invented this, should get it. And it may be, it may be that the people who don't are modern American suburbanites. Let's pray. So, Lord, we've heard you, or we haven't. We ask, Lord, I don't even know how to pray. 
I pray for the right conviction. I pray that you would persuade our hearts. I pray, Lord, for the many of us here at Gateway who are making this effort. And we may feel the thrill of it, or we may feel stalled in it right now. I pray that today we would hear your word to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Don't grow weary in doing good, for in due season you'll reap a harvest of righteousness. For those, Lord, who have difficulty with this concept and this kind of connecting, Lord, be gracious. You have been gracious with me, and I pray that you would be gracious with others. That you would speak a word of life about this and also make it easy. Provide access, provide entry in the right way, the right relationship, as much as we know how. We offer all that we know of ourselves to all that we know of you. So every part of us, the shy part of us, or the, the proud part of us, or the, the resistant part of us, or the stubborn part of us, we give it to you. We pray that you would take us, that you would shape us from the inside out, that that would show itself, that what you're doing inside of us would show itself on the surface. But Lord, I also want to pray for those of us who resist immersing ourselves in Christian community. I pray that you'd forgive us. Lord, we don't think of this as robbery, but it is. We're keeping others from knowing our richness and from growing from it. It's not just that we're inhibiting our own growth, but to a small degree, we're, we're diminishing others. And we ask you to forgive us. Take us and change us. stand with us one last time. Sing this with me. Thousand times I've failed. Thousand times I've failed. Your mercy remains. Should I stumble again? I'm caught in your grace. Everlasting. Your light will shine when all else fades. Never ending. Your
second verse again. You will above. time everlasting everlasting your light will shine when all else fades never ending your glory goes beyond all things and the cry of my heart is to bring you praise from the inside out of my soul cries out from the Father, let us to be healthier than we were at the, at the end of 2015. Help us to realize that the strongest way to do that is to love one another and to build this community with one another. In your heavenly name I pray. Amen. You may go in peace. Have a good Sunday.